Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to join me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written around the autumn of 56 from a town in Macedonia to the church in the city of Corinth. And as we read through it, it becomes readily apparent that it's a very personal letter. In fact, it's probably the most personal of all Paul's letters, with the possible exception of Philemon. Someone has called it the most letter-like of all Paul's letters. If you're looking for deep, heavy, detailed doctrine, 2 Corinthians is not for you. I suggest Hebrews. If you're looking for a very logical, lawyer-like, legal argument for the Christian faith, 2 Corinthians is not for you. I recommend Romans. If you're looking for answers to many of the complex problems that plague the church today, 2 Corinthians is not for you. 1 Corinthians was. If you're looking for prophetic insights into God's plan for the future, 2 Corinthians is not for you. I recommend Revelation. But if you are looking for practical, personal answers to questions like, who am I and how do I cope with life? 2 Corinthians is for you. It will give you practical, personal direction on how to live a genuine Christian life. It defines and shows you how to live out authentic Christianity. That is the theme of 2 Corinthians. You know, it troubles me that much that passes for Christianity today isn't. Or at best, it's very shallow. We live in a day of low expectations. You can accept Christ, make a few cosmetic changes, adapt your lifestyle to the expectations of the Christian community you happen to be in, learn the acceptable Christianese of that community, and settle down to a life of mediocrity, and you will probably find yourself in the mainstream of that community. In fact, you'll probably find yourself teaching Sunday school. That's very confusing to me. And I know it's very confusing to the person who is living that lifestyle. When you examine the average Christian's life, it's virtually the same life he lived before receiving Christ with a thin veneer of Christianity over it. Like a Krispy Kreme donut. You've got that sugary glaze. Underneath, I'm like a hunk of raw liver. But I got the glaze on. You know, I got the veneer on. You know, the, the problem with that kind of Christianity, when difficult times come, it disappears. Well, that's not authentic Christianity because authentic Christianity runs deep. It begins in the heart and it pervades the whole person. It is intended to thrive in difficult situations. In fact, it's in those difficult situations where it blossoms most profusely. And 2 Corinthians defines authentic Christianity, describes authentic Christianity, and depicts authentic Christianity in the life and character of the Apostle Paul. Let me just show you that. 
Authentic Christianity is defined in chapter 5. And if you go over there, verse 17 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. Not thin veneer, new creature. Verse 18 says, we are reconciled to God. Verse 21 says, we have the righteousness of Christ put into our account. What difference does it make in our life? Verse 17 says, old things are passed away. And all things have become new. Verse 15 says, we no longer live for ourselves. Verse 18 says, we have received the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is authentic Christianity defined. Secondly, authentic Christianity is is described. And we have it described throughout the book. In chapter 1, He says, here's how you relate to affliction. You grow in it. Chapter 2, here's how you relate to a fallen brother. You forgive him and restore him. Chapter 3, here's how you relate to the old covenant, laws and rules. You come out of it into the liberty of the Spirit of God. Chapters 4 and 5, here's how you relate to your body. You view it as an earthen vessel that is decaying and soon to be replaced by a heavenly body. Chapters 5 and 6, here's how you relate to this lost world. You're not to be unequally yoked together with it, but you are to be an ambassador into it. Chapter 7, here's how you relate to correction. You don't push it away. You welcome it, you embrace it, and you let it bring about repentance in your life. Chapters 8 and 9, here's how you relate to the needs of others. You give to meet those needs. And then chapters 10 to 13, here's how you relate to teachers. You use God's values to discern the true from the false. And then finally, we see authentic Christianity depicted in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Corinthians were following leadership that had worldly values. In chapter 5 and verse 12, it says they were following leaders who were all about appearance and not heart. In chapter 10 and verse 18, it says they were following leaders who commended themselves rather than allowing God to commend them. And in chapter 11 and verse 20, it tells us they were following leaders who were lording it over them like the world does. Now, Paul knew all about that. He had been raised as a Pharisee. He had risen to the top of his class. He was a leader in the natural sense. He possessed all the attributes that the world would value in a leader. He had competence. He was proud. He was impressive. He was powerful. But he became a new creature in Christ, and his Christianity was authentic. Let me show you that. Look in chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's the competent, proud, impressive, powerful Paul. Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. What's he say? I'm inadequate. Chapter 4, verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. What is he? He's humble. Chapter 4, verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He says, I'm dead. And then over in chapter 12 and verse 10, he makes that familiar statement, when I am weak, then am I strong. You see the paradoxes? When I'm inadequate, then I'm adequate. When I'm at the bottom, that's when I reach the top. When I'm dead, then I'm alive. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, those are the values of authentic Christianity, and they are 180 degrees the opposite direction of what the world values in a leader. So let me ask you this morning, are you ready to be challenged to live out those values in your life? Are you ready to be challenged with authentic Christianity? If so, then let's let Paul speak to us in 2 Corinthians. He begins this letter in the customary way with a salutation in verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's written by Paul, along with Timothy, who happens to be accompanying Paul at this time. It's written to the church at Corinth, along with saints who are throughout Achaia. We know of several cities in Achaia where there were churches established, like Athens and Sincrea. And then he says, grace and peace. Those are the two best blessings you can have this side of heaven. Grace is God's undeserved favor in every aspect of your life, and peace is the unruffled calm that defies the crushing circumstances of life. Grace is the cause, peace is the effect. And Paul says both of them come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 3 to 11, we're shown how authentic Christianity is lived out in the midst of affliction, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a hostile environment. It's not difficult to figure out the theme of these verses because just in verses 3 to 7 alone, the word affliction and suffering is used seven times. In verses 3 to 7 alone, the word comfort is used 10 times. It would be a good exercise for you to take your pen and circle the word comfort in verses 3 to 7. You will find that you will circle it 10 times. And it will remind you of what the theme is in these verses. Heard about a New Yorker who was driving through Texas when he had an accident with a truck pulling a horse trailer. A few months later, he came into his insurance agent's office to collect for his injuries. And his agent said, well, I'm a little confused because the police report indicates that you stated you weren't hurt. The man said, well, here's what happened. I was lying in a ditch with a lot of pain, and I heard someone say the horse had a broken leg, and I saw the state trooper pull out his gun and shoot it. Then he turned to me and said, how are you doing? And I smiled and said, I'm doing fine. There are, there are a lot of Christians who have the faulty idea 
that Christians should never suffer. That it's embarrassing for me to say, I'm in pain. It's embarrassing for me to say, I'm in a trial, I'm in a difficult situation. Things are not going well, circumstantially, in my life. And a lot of us are like the guy in the ditch. We're fine when we're really in pain. Well, this morning, we're just going to look at verses 3 and 4 together. And I want to ask you the question in light of these verses, how are you doing? Or as I've entitled this message, are you comfort-able? And to find out if you're comfort-able, you need to understand three things. And I've listed them in your bulletin. Number one is the person of your comfort. Notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now we gain some great insight into God's nature here. He is the Father of mercies or the Father of compassion and he is the God of all comfort. You know, believing that God exists is just the first step of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. It's one thing to believe that God exists, but if all you do is simply believe that God exists, but you believe the wrong kind of God, then you very well may be worse off than an atheist because you're believing in a God who doesn't exist. What do we know about God? Well, the Bible tells us God is holy, God is spirit, God is love, God is light. This passage tells us that he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Compassion means God feels my pain. Comfort means God fortifies me in my pain. Compassion means he's moved. Comfort means he ministers to me. Now, I want you to notice something. He's not just the God of comfort. He is the God of all comfort. The source of all comfort is God, which means you will not find comfort anywhere else but in God. And yet, what's the first thing that many people do the moment they experience pain and affliction and trouble? They blame God. They say, why did God let this happen? Where was God when I needed him? And so they stiff arm the only one who can help them in their need because comfort isn't found anywhere else. He is the God of all comfort. Now, when you're hurting, you get a lot of advice. People say, you just need some time. Time will heal all wounds. You just need a change. You just need to get away from it all. You just need to drown your sorrows, drink your troubles away. It's like the old preacher used to say, troubles can swim. What do you need? You need God. 
because he is the God of all comfort. In Isaiah 66, 13, God says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And that Hebrew word for comfort means to sigh over. Like a mother sighs over her child, God says, I'll sigh over you. I don't know about you, but when I was little and I would fall and scrape my knee and I'd see a little blood on my knee and think immediately it's going to have to be amputated, I would do one thing and one thing only. I would run screaming, Mommy! And my mom would pick me up and she would wipe the blood off my knee and she would kiss it and put a Band-Aid on it and she would sigh over me. She would say, it's going to be all right. That's what God does. Only when God says it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. And what's a mother sigh over? No about your mom, but my mom sighed over every detail of my life. Well, God's the same way. Matthew 10:30 says he has numbered the very heads of your the very hairs of your head. Zilch. <laughs> I wanted to beat you to that. In Isaiah 49:16 he says, "I have engraved you on the palms of my hands." In Isaiah 43:4 he says, You are precious in my sight because I love you. Our father is like a mother to us when it comes to comfort. Are you hurting? The source of all comfort is a person, God. Second thing you need to understand is the place of your comfort And for that, look at verse 4. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, where does God comfort us? In all our affliction, in all our trouble, in all our suffering. And again, that's the second most used word in this passage, used seven times. But I want you to notice another little word. It's the word in. Where is God? You say, I know, everywhere. Well, he is everywhere. But he is with us in our affliction to comfort us. We don't have to run away from our affliction to find God. We don't have to put on a brave face and come to church and worship while we grin and bear it in order to find God. You see, God comes to us in our pain. He is in our affliction with us. He brings comfort to us. He meets us in our suffering. I love this. He is the God of all comfort in all our affliction. Our modern use of the word comfort has caused it to lose some of its meaning because when we think of 
Comfort, we think of it as a soft, sentimental, soothing feeling. We use that word to describe a soft, fluffy covering for our bed, a comforter. It's such a soft, soothing, quiet word that I hesitate to use it in church, lest you fall asleep. Comfort, comfort. Do you know in the Bible, comfort is an action word. It's the Greek word parakaleo, and it means one who comes alongside to help. Jesus used this word in John 14 to 16 to describe the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. It's so much a part of his nature that that's his title, the comforter. Now, our English word comfort is a combination of two words. Come means with, and fort means strength. We see that in other words, like fortify and fortitude. So to comfort means to come alongside someone and give them your strength. Imagine... You're standing out here in the lobby and you look down those steep stairs and you see an elderly lady at the bottom of the stairs. And she's looking up the stairs wondering whether she's going to make it up or not. Now if you stand at the top of the stairs and shout out to her, use the handrail. That's not comfort. But if you go down and get alongside her, and give her your strength to help her get up the stairs, that's comfort. God doesn't sit in heaven and say, use the handrail. God comes to us in our affliction. He comes alongside us, and he gives us his strength to provide for our need. few years ago, Bette Midler recorded a song called From a Distance. It's a theological song. It goes like this. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. From a distance, there is harmony, and it echoes through the land, and it's the hope of hope. It's the love of loves. It's the heart of every man. Two problems with that song. I don't know what planet she was thinking about, but there's no harmony on this one. And second problem, God is watching, but not from a distance. He is the God of all comfort who comes alongside us in all our affliction, in all our pain, in all our suffering. Paul wrote in, or David wrote, I'm sorry, in Psalm 23, 4, and said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are, what? With me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As a shepherd boy, David had two sticks. He had a rod and a staff. The rod was like a club to use against attacking animals. The staff was a long stick with a crook on the end, and he used it to hook the sheep when they started to wander 
off. And David uses that analogy of God. He is with us in the valley, and he comforts us with his rod and with his staff. He protects us, and he nudges us back into line. And God's comfort always transforms our pain and suffering into something beautiful. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 51.3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And her wilderness he will make like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. The land lay in smoldering ruins. And God says... I'm going to come and turn your deserts into the Garden of Eden. That's God's comfort. And I will tell you today, that's exactly what he wants to do in your life. Are you struggling right now? How comfortable are you? You see, God can take your ugly past and he can turn it into the Garden of Eden. He can take your painful present and he can turn it into the Garden of Eden. Don't hide your pain. Don't try to deaden your pain. Invite him into the midst of your pain and let him transform it and you. And if you will, you will be singing a much better theological song. You'll be singing something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Third thing you need to understand is the purpose of your comfort. Notice verse 4 again. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that, that's a purpose statement, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The reason God comforts us is not just so that we will be comforted. He wants us to take the strength and courage he gives to us and use it to comfort other people. You're not just to be a receptacle of God's comfort. You are to be a channel of God's comfort. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, We're not to forsake our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we come to church? He says we come to church to encourage one another. That that word encourage is an interesting word. It's the Greek word parakaleo. We come to church to comfort one another. And he says you ought to do it more because the day of Jesus' coming is near. Jesus is nearer to coming than he was last Sunday. So we need to be comforting one another. Why do you come to church? To get? No. No. You should come to church so that you can come alongside someone who needs help. 
and give them your strength. A lot of us are like the guy that I heard about who took the first aid course with the CPR and the whole nine yards, and later he ran into his instructor, and his instructor asked him if he had had any opportunity to use his training, and he said yes. In fact, he said just several weeks after the course, I was going down the road, and I came upon a very tragic accident, and there, there were people hanging outside of the, the car doors, and it was an awful situation. I was the first on the scene, and so I pulled over, and he said, instructor said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I sat down on the ground and put, put my head between my knees so I wouldn't pass out. Hmm. You know, a lot of us are that way. We take in instruction so we can apply it to ourselves. We never use it for anybody else. God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. He comforts you to make you comfortable, to make you a comforter for other people. You know, there are a lot of people that I talk to who are in deep need, and I can tell them who God is. I can tell them what God promises But I can't necessarily say to them when I'm listening to their story, I know how you feel. I can't necessarily say to them, I have been exactly where you are. And God comforted me in that situation. God brought me through that very situation. So I really can't comfort them the way you might be able to comfort them. What has God brought you through? Maybe for you it's an abortion you had years ago. Maybe for you it's breast cancer or a divorce or depression or an eating disorder or infertility or a miscarriage. You see, if God has brought you through those things, then God wants you to come along someone else in that same valley and put your arm around them and say, I know how you feel. I've been there. And God is faithful. God can turn your desert into a garden because look what he's done in my life. That's comfort. Are you comfort able? Keep these truths in mind. Your comfort is found in a person, God. Your comfort is found in the place of your pain. He is with you. And your comfort is found for a purpose so that you will be a comforter to others. Aren't you glad that in our greatest need, God didn't sit in heaven and say, use the handrail? We were sinners. We were lost. And what did God do? He came down and he became a man. And he lived among us. And he told us who he is and he showed us who he is, and he willingly let us nail him to a cross to pay for our sins, 
to redeem us, to provide the elevator to heaven. Sometimes people say to me, Christianity is a crutch. And I say, no, it's not a crutch. It's a wheelchair. I didn't need a crutch. I was dead. I was lost. He provided our full salvation. That is the greatest comfort of all, eternal salvation. And this morning, as we consider how God wants to comfort us in our individual hurts and how he wants to use us in the lives of others, I want us to celebrate how he provided for our greatest need. He took care of our sin. And we're going to take the bread and the cup this morning. It's going to be passed out to you. If you're here as a visitor and you know the Lord, you're welcome to participate. This is an open communion. If you know Jesus Christ, then you're welcome to join us in this time of celebrating the comfort God has given to us, the provision he has given to us. Let's pray together as we do. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort and that began in our lives when you provided salvation for us. Thank you that you were willing to come into this sinful, painful chaotic world and pay the price it took to redeem us, to change us, to make us new creatures, to give us your eternal salvation, to turn our desert into the Garden of Eden. And Lord, as we think about the circumstances of our individual lives, help remind us today that all comfort is found in you and that you are with us in the valley. And for those things you brought us through, you want, us to, you want to use us in the lives of other people to do that same thing, to comfort and strengthen them. Make us to be those people. But Father, as we take this bread this morning, take this cup, help us to reflect upon the cross and what it costs you to be our God of all comfort. We give you our thanks in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.